This is the one with pathetic temporal hags. Tempura Command. And the offer of a massacre. It's called War of the Suntarans. Here we go! Whistle on our epic phrase. All through time and all through space. Whistle being an angel's hour. Dalek Cyber Zood and wow! Counting Sonic's rating out. From the poor to the sublime. Eccleston to Whittaker. Let's agree it's about time. Who back when? Reviewing on you who there is. Who back when? Subscribe and rate on iTunes, please. Rose and Donna. Amy Pond. Rory Clara. And beyond. Join, Join us on this side see what other choice could there be. But who back when? Who back when? Greetings, human vermin. You are most aggressively unwelcome to what is sure to be another wretchedly appalling episode of Who Back When, a so-called Doctor Who podcast. Or Docpast. That's regrettably correct. I am Commander Drew Backwen, and sitting opposite me is an individual whose polished turds, I mean words, will be clogging your pathetic earballs with their loathsome stink tonight. Viscerally disgusting in a good way. It's Leon. You're too kind. Thank you so much. Yes, hello, Drew. Hello, Podcast Land. <laughs> hello, Podcast Land. May death ray down on you all. Solid voice work there. Well done. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can do the Scottish one as well, if you like. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> Ever since Link's in his claim... Oh, I got it wrong. Went too far. Flew too close to the horse. Yeah, holy smokes. We're still in flux country. Mm. Yeah, how do you feel about that? Well, I feel like we're still just taking our first nervous foray into Flux Country. This is an actual episode. It is, yeah. As opposed to an extended introduction. Yeah. Uh, High-level impressions? Loved uh, it. Yeah, same. Yeah! Isn't Flux great? So far. This cannot go wrong. (laughs) (laughs) That's not to say I don't have a whole bunch of further unanswered questions. Ah, well, fantastic. I also have a number of questions. In fact, you know what? My notes today are skewed towards questions. Questions balanced out by ha-ha's or loved when dot dot dot. Yeah. Which very rarely happens in the Chibbers era for me. I have a very unusual section of just nice lines. I just compiled a whole bunch of them because this script was (laughs) swarming with them. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. No, I see what you did there. Very, very good. Very good stuff. The script, you say. So a script for an episode of some sort, it must be about something. What is it about? Well, <laughs> I think you're charging me towards a bite-sized chunk of who? Who I? Let's. Time for us to synopsize, lobify and summarize. So take a view and grab a brew and listen to this overview, this free-for-all. We like to call a bite-sized chunk of who. Bite-sized chunk of who. The TARDIS and its occupants are miraculously, some might say arbitrarily, thrown by the flux into the midst of the Crimean War. You incorrigible cynic! Obviously, the Sontaran's obsession with Japanese food caused some tempura residue to hurl fam 2.0, to where the potatoes pilot scheme to invade all of Earth's history was taking its first soft baby steps on the heaphead bodies of the British Imperial Army. However, since plot-enabling residue equally miraculously sends Dan Hurtling straight back to 2021, Liverpool, where he tries to walk things out with his parents, and it spirits Yaz straight to the planet of time itself, where the Moori are at risk of being turned into mere mementos by the oncoming swarm. Vinda's also there, so he can show off the Moori's fancy proximity activation. And Mary Seacole takes notes. Miska, over! You are welcome. You're welcome. Right, well, you have questions. I would like to hear one of them. 
Okay, well, let's start at the beginning, shall we? Let's. Unanswered question nine, because (laughs) I'm keeping a running tally. I see, okay. Nine out of how many? We will get up to 14 after two episodes. Buckle up, podcast land, yeah. (laughs) Some of them may have been answered, but question nine slash Mm -hmm. one slash 2.1 is, how did anyone, including the TARDIS, survive the flux smashing in? (sighs) Yeah. Yeah. This is a good question, the answer to which is a complete unknown to me. This episode has a lot of little narrative cheat codes that seem like... This is a massive negative for me, unfortunately. Yeah. There there are... These are classic Chibbers cheats. The classic Chibbers cheats of, don't worry about it, there was a coincidental solution to that problem that we had before, it's all fixed. Or coincidental meetups with people. Coincidental... Why is everyone exactly where and when they are right now in the episode? No reason for it. Yeah. We don't find out that Swarm, for example, has saved them. There's no power to do so. I doubt it. I will keep these questions open as we go. Yeah. Because I think that one of them, at least, will get answered next week. But not this one. Not this one. Certainly not. And I'm not actually sure what Swarm's ultimate plan is, whether it's just to let time run loose and keep the universe alive but entirely fucked up, or whether he just wants to destroy existence as we know it. But, yeah, the very idea that he would save everyone and have things work out this way doesn't track for me. No, not for me. The closest thing to an answer that I can get to is that the TARDIS saved them. The TARDIS decided, at the end of the episode, we hear the cloister bell, and the TARDIS is completely aware of all the risks, and the TARDIS somehow autonomously decides, no, I'm just going to spirit them away. I'm going to take them to somewhere safe, and then coincidentally takes them where it takes them. That is probably the best we'll get. Unfortunately, that is assigning it way too much agency because, like you say, the TARDIS becomes a narrative cheat code of almost unlimited power. It denies the Doctor entry by hiding its doors somehow. I guess it can activate its chameleon circuit when it wants to. And then at the end of the episode, it just makes it appear when she asks it to because it knows that the narrative has reached the point where this is what happens next. No. Very frustrating. Yeah, very frustrating. We never get an answer to why the doors disappear or who has control of the doors or any of that. Absolutely none of it. Yeah, I'm going to put that as an answer question 15. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, no, we, we don't find out about that at all. Okay, well, I just want to dwell on this point as it relates to the cliffhangers, because this episode ends with another amazing cliffhanger. Very much so. But for the fact that we have just seen a seemingly inescapable cliffhanger hand-waved. So how does this next one carry any weight or have any validity when at the beginning of Once Upon Time... Presumably, Yaz will be somewhere else in some other realm and the Doctor will get there and it'll never be explained. Like There is going to be diminishing returns if Chibbers keeps cheating us in this way. Yes, agreed. But he has also been doing so for seasons, plural, now. <laughs> but okay, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, okay, let's put a pin in the cliffhanger because I am curious about that and it's probably something that we can't really properly answer until next episode. But yeah. I have theories and I have qualms. <gasps> but about the how do they escape the flux, not just do they escape the flux, they escape to, somehow inadvertently, they escape to this one point in time that is of strategic value to the Sontaran temporal command. Yes, as explained in the Beast. As explained. 
And when they get there, they they are separated. They are somehow taken out of this time and placed in other parts of space-time that are of strategic value to agents in this story. Yes. Right. Yes. Oh, but so that's not explained either. No, Why? And also, Swarm and Azure don't know that that Yaz has turned up there because they are surprised that other life forms have gone ahead of them. So they are not so it's behind not them. that. Exactly, it's not them. No, th- that is legitimately bullshit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, to clarify, Podcast Land, both Drew and I have said we really love this episode. Yep, I'm giving <laughs> it a very high rating. I'm going to give it a relatively high rating as well. I don't know what it is yet, but it's going to be pretty high. Anyway, yeah. So they are separated and they're taken from there to these other parts of. Of the storyline. They're not randomly placed somewhere. They're placed somewhere where we know that shit is happening and where they are needed. So it's not the TARDIS that's doing it. It's not Swarm and Azure that that are doing it. Is this just a lazy chibberism? Or is it, for example, the fact that someone is messing with time in these points is drawing them in? The fact that the Sontarans have built this fleet or are in the process of building this fleet of time ships in Liverpool in 2021... Yeah, yeah, that that somehow is drawing anyone with Liverpudlian energy in their in their <laughs> veins, drawing them there, them there. The only way I can see this being resolved in a different way from Chibber's turning coincidence into the essential structure of the Doctor Who universe, one of the nuclear forces that science so far has failed to detect, is that Tectayun is in charge of it. Because she does appear later on. Oh, that's right. Sort yeah. of in an extra universal monitoring kind of way. Now, I can't remember what happens, but I'm not pinning my hopes on it. But it might. Yeah. Yeah. In which case, essentially, Tectayun is God <laughs> for this serial. Well, yeah, anyone who wields the flux and can change space time is God, essentially. Okay, right. Okay, okay. What about Vinda? Yeah. Vinda is. Can you remind me, remind me what happens to him in the cliffhanger of the last episode? Does he almost get fluxed? He is just, I believe, hurtling in a direction away from the flux. His space station has been swallowed up, and he's just barreling through 50,000 trillion light years away or whatever. Right. And now he wakes up in on the planet of time. Yes. Which is already a concept that I don't like. And mm, maybe, yeah. Yeah, okay, well, okay, fine. I, I don't dislike it, but I do dislike the idea that now there are these Mori, whatever they are, yeah, who are somehow in control of time. Like, we've never heard of this before. Why? No. Well, th- I know that we meet time later on in this season, and fuck that <laughs> Oh, plotline. yes, fuck that entirely. But, yeah, I don't like it. Anyway, so he gets al- he almost gets fluxed, and yes. then he wakes up on the planet of time in a time that has zero value. As in, this is somehow outside of our perception of time. Oh, yes, because the Doctor says the readings are zero. What, exactly. What on earth? So why does he end up exactly where Yaz ends up? <laughs> you don't seriously expect me to provide a satisfactory answer. <laughs> How about this, then? The, okay, okay. the flux destroys tons of planets. Yeah. It swallows up the entire universe. Why isn't everyone on those planets just waking up on the planet of time going, no, I don't know what I'm repairing? Well, Vinda didn't pass through the flux. Vinda did escape the flux. He escaped the... Okay. Yeah. That's even dumber. The top of his ship, the escape pod, whatever, fled at sufficient velocity, which is what we said last week. Oh, Vinda's thing can travel faster than the TARDIS? Bollocks. But... Yeah. Yeah. That's what was happening. And faster than... The flux is swallowing the universe. (laughs) <laughs> like it is swallowing the universe, but an escape pod can outrun it. Yeah. The Lupari ships can withstand it. 
Yeah. It's yeah. No, those are chibberisms that I'm marking this down for. Unfortunately, yeah. the only hint of how Vinder could have ended up there. Yeah. Is there's a line he says the triangle said it's the temple of Atropos, but it can't be. So he knows about the temple of Atropos. Yeah, he's heard of it. Yeah. Some people in this universe have. He hasn't programmed his escape pod to go there because clearly he thinks he can't reach it. Right. So yeah. what I was just going to say, I've just unsaid in advance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, okay, this is another example of cosmic architecture that everybody knows about except the Doctor who was supposed to know everything. I kind of like it. I don't know if it's because it has ancient Greek vibes with Temple of Atropos. Yeah. I think Atropos was like one of the fates who cut people life strings. Oh, really? I believe so. Oh, okay. And the Mori, that just sounds super Greek. I don't know if it has any specific derivation. I can't remember. My degree was a long time ago. But I feel like, correct me if I'm wrong, because you've got way more experience with this, this sort of thing where there's this weird-ass temple in charge of some other thing, and it's barely explained, very classic Who. It's super classic, yeah. yeah. There is there is an episode in particular that rings a bell. I'm struggling to remember what it was. Thank you for saying that, because I hadn't even considered this before. Is it one of the Kinder episodes? It's not. Oh, okay. It is... It's an episode with uh, the fifth Doctor that I'm thinking of. It might be... It, it ma no it's not Castro Valva. shit okay you know what I can't remember which one it is it might even be a Tom Baker episode now that I think about it anyway <laughs> there's an episode okay. where they go to a planet it's a master episode they go to a planet and it turns out they have a means of altering reality time and reality just through maths okay bing bong future Leon here nope I am actually thinking of Logopolis which is a fourth Doctor serial uh, you should check it out it's really really good and while you're at it, listen to our review of it. All right, back to the show. Bing bong. You know what? I literally have forgotten which episode this is. Okay, okay. And I'm going to hate myself. But it does exist. It absolutely does. Maybe it's Warriors, the Keeper of the Trocket. Anyway, doesn't matter. It's a great episode, is what I'm trying to say. And it provides some kind of precedent. Yes, exactly. Now I'm scrubbing through <laughs> whobackwhen.com trying to find it. Through I can't find it now. 60 years of Doctor Who. I cannot find it. Blast it. Anyway... Um, that's the closest thing that I can get to in my mind in Classic Who, where you have just some species, they're very clever, and they've figured out a scientific, a logical, in their, their case, a mathematical way of manipulating reality. Mm. And like just through maths, you can create matter, or you can change history, you can do whatever you want. And that's all they do. They just sit there, they've got like someone sitting there with an abacus and changing the world. That's the closest thing that I can get to in my mind. Right, right, these, right. however many, eight people who are just clever enough or biologically advanced enough to somehow manipulate time. But then to put on their shoulders the fact that time is linear, or at least perceived as such for us, and that history is in the, always in the right place, that's bollocks. Because that presuppose <laughs> that makes them gods. That makes them the keepers of our reality, of everything that we hold true. Yeah, but this universe has eternals, right? It has yes. guardians. Yeah, that is true. So why not but throw just another like, yeah. class into the mix? Honestly, we're never happy. In Series 11, it was, oh, Chibbers, you're doing all your new stuff, and it's all so small scale. And in Series 12, it was, oh, Chibbers, you're bringing everything back, but not in a good way. And now in Series 13, it's like, Chibbers, you're doing new stuff, but it's too big. All right, John Lennon, listen. Here's, <laughs> yeah, I take that criticism on board. I fully <laughs> take it on board. <laughs> Yeah, I provisionally like it. I am fully prepared not to like where it goes. I remember time being a complete letdown as well. Yeah. 
and that's kind of hard to separate from this but just seeing that well also the facts i guess that they're silent and i don't know maybe they're a bit lifeless well yeah and are they yeah, exactly what's what's their deal <laughs> so there are originally let's say there are eight of them six or eight of them something like that yeah minimum two are gone mm. they're not present yeah not that you would know from the expressions on the others faces no because they have no control over their lives anymore they are now subject to their own science or whatever it, it is that they're practicing there. yeah they're merely vessels exactly and they're taken care of by two ai pyramids yeah which is cute but odd repair no no it's too high up repair floating priest triangles that's it's pretty close yeah, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. yeah. but so what did we, we, <laughs> Okay, how did two of them die? Or get? how did they break? Oh, that's a good question, because... It's not Swarm. Yeah, they just rocked up. Yeah. Later. Hmm. So is this wow. just a coincidence of everything? Did they break because the Sontarans are doing time experiments? Did they break because... because of the flux? It's got to be the flux. Well, is that just going to be the catch-all answer at this point? If something doesn't make <laughs> sense, it's because of the flux. How did Doc uh, end yes. up in... Yeah, maybe, maybe. Yeah. If, if this were Rick and Morty, the flux would be explicitly called out as a meta-narrative fucking around device. Probably, yeah, exactly. I think that may be how Chibbers is deploying it. <laughs> but it makes it look amateurish because we have to figure that out. We have to infer it. Well, I feel like Chibbers has also watched Star Trek Generations and he's trying oh, yeah. to nexus this. Mm -hmm. So it is the flux. It's destroying the universe. But at the same time, it takes you to this place outside of the universe. Yeah, it provides a convenient way for everyone to get together. Exactly. You can go from there to anywhere. Yeah. 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 If they pan to the side, if Jodie Whittaker just like looks to the side, William Shatner is making a gigantic omelette. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah yeah i still love this episode still yeah oh yeah. absolutely yeah me yeah. too you reminded me of how joseph williamson turns up do you mock me lady i bloody loved him last week i don't think i said it i loved him this week as well <laughs> all is porous all is broken i'm so fucking peeved what what is yeah what what is his perception of what's going on and also does he just dematerialize and arrive back in his time or is he just walking around in circles never encountering a pyramid I think what's happening is he is digging his tunnels and he's gone for a walk down one of them. He's driven. He's impelled by his restless premonition. He's like Charles Bronson in The Great Escape. He's digging tunnels. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And one of them happens to lead to the planet of time. Oh, I see. Yeah. And then when he walks back, he's just in that tunnel. Yeah, he's, he's like, it's, I it's must like, retrace his steps back down his tunnel. This is like dark. The, the, oh, yeah. yeah. This is, yeah, nice. Yeah, good stuff. Yeah, plus I mean, point one chips. Yeah, I'm kind of liking this a little bit more now. That is interesting. That is, that's very interesting. It does. I wonder if this is going to factor into the next episode because I know that at some point Yaz and Dan Stevens end up separated temporally from. Is it? No, it's not him. Her and Dan. No, it is her and Dan. It's Stevens. her, Dan, and the guy who we meet in Village of the Angels. Yes, I was going to say it's not Graham, is it? But it's it's not Graham. Yeah, it's the archaeologist explorer whatever that scientist of some kind yeah not graham yeah <laughs> oh yeah uh, yeah <laughs> none no, of which are graham yeah no you're absolutely right so at some point they get, get they end up being separated from doc temporally and they may even end up in that dude's time maybe so yeah. maybe this involves them having to run down a corridor and then they just end up in their plan oh no i don't remember this exactly mm -hmm, mm -hmm. No, they get angeled, don't they? No, they don't, because not Graham gets angeled. Oh, I've forgotten about this. Um, There's still plenty of time for this all to pan out really well. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Yeah, and 
I don't want to get ahead of myself. I don't remember what the next episode is about, but I know that the Angels episode is coming up, right? Like that's maybe part four. Yes. And I remember that being great. So that's at least two episodes from now. I'm still really enjoying Flux. Yeah. And I remember liking episode three a lot more than other people did because it, I have the vaguest memory that it's just spacey, crazy, utterly untethered nonsense. Can't um, wait for that one. Well, yeah, okay. I, was, I was well up for it, but people were like, this story better start making sense soon. And I was like, it'll be fine, guys. <laughs> You're just on a big trip. Okay, okay. Okay, yeah, yeah. Nice line. Oh, let's hear a nice line. When the doctor is being denied access to the TARDIS and she's going around going like, oh, I need to get in. And you hear a Sontaran off camera and it just faintly here another soldier waiting to be obliterated <laughs> and i just thought for an off-camera throwaway expositiony kind of line that was really far nicer than it needed to be yeah totally agree totally agree i did i didn't catch that line necessarily but I, yeah that's good stuff very good stuff i'm scouring my notes for nice lines ish take off your mask ah, on second thought put it back on that was kind of fun i did chocolate that yeah that reminded me a little bit, unfortunately, of the attitude the Doctor gave the lone Cyberman when she was like, oh, you stink or whatever in Diodati. And that oh, was like the yeah. weakest part of the episode. So unfortunately, that that just reminded me of that. And I was like, oh, I guess the kids will find that funny, though. Yeah. Oh, if no one's done this, I'm very tempted to take that scene, just splice it out of the episode, put it back on YouTube. But... Before doing so, just copy-pasting in the loudest fart sound. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, what I did like about that scene, the parlay scene, yeah. is... Great scene. Really great scene, and it starts off so well, because you get to see the Doctor nervous before the Sontaran approaches out of the mist. Yeah. And she's screwing up her courage. She's like, right, okay, here we go. And then, once that happens, she is she just puts on the Doctor persona, and she is brave and fearless... But you know that, that it's she's having to try. It's costing something. I like seeing both sides of that. It made it made it all just sing. I agree. My biggest takeaway of that scene and of it's a prior scene, is right after they've been separated. I can't remember what it is, what her line is at that point. But I had the same sensation and it was that if she were to look at her hand, it would say, What would the doctor do? that she is also playing the same kind of brave part that Yaz gets to play in this. Oh, which, cool. Yeah, anyway, that, I don't know if that's if there's anything to that, but that's how it felt. And I, it made me actually respect Yaz even more. I loved mm. that Yaz played the Doctor. For a little bit, she was the Doctor, which was very nice. Yeah. It's good stuff. Yeah, Yaz showed real capability in meeting very different people. First, the really angry Liverpudlian, or whatever he is, and and she was like, oh, oh, yeah. oh yes, and and what's troubling you, sir? Yeah. And, and managed to gain his confidence and handled a guy on the absolute brink of insanity. And then when Vinda comes along, she relates to him so much more easily. And that is nice. We are seeing in a way that isn't, I can count booby traps with my eyes closed. Yes, exactly. A, a, a way of navigating the universe that she has learned. Yeah, whilst having whatever the police equivalent of Bedside Manor is. Mm-hmm. Diplomatic, well-mannered, balanced approach to people in crisis. Yeah. Yeah, this is really good. It's very professional, competent. Mm. Good doctor material. Not calling for a spin-off at all. But, <laughs> but yeah, no, she did a good job. Yeah. 
And as I recall, later on, when they do get separated, she takes on the Doctor Mantle. Very much so. Yeah. yeah. It might be that Dan becomes the Yaz of the group, but <laughs> I don't remember exactly. Possibly. I've got yeah. another good line. Oh, let's hear it. The general, who has quite little to recommend him in general, <laughs> yeah. when the doc is doing her exposition not quite to camera thing, oh, but that means this, oh, but then that would be, and then he says, are you expecting a response yes. to your musings? Nice. Yeah. Uh, that's after multiple seasons of just going, why are you talking to yourself? <laughs> yeah, and why is nobody reacting? Can someone handcuff you behind your back? Your hands are out of control. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, Whitaker's hands were ha- were back in this episode, mm. by the way. Really, really back. Yeah. And I finally saw her as the primary school teacher you've been seeing her as all along. When she Thank says, you. pay attention, sit up, back straight, hands on heads. Gold oh. star and a sticker, Mary Seacole. Oh, I really like that. <laughs> what? Because that is not at all what I mean when she seems like a clown at a kid's party to me. Oh. No, that was her belittling people in, in the classroom, belittling the general. I thought that was really, really good. Oh, okay. I mean the thing where she talks to everyone, including us, the audience, like where complete morons that I, that I do not appreciate. I see. Which she didn't really do in this episode. I thought that was fine. Other good lines, though I can't necessarily quote any of them. The Sontaran... Is he also a general? Field Marshal Sontaran, whatever his name is. Skark? Hit the road, Skark? Yes, yeah. Something that rhymes with Jack. (laughs) All of his menacing lines were terrific. Your your bodies shall soften our steps. Absolutely. Fantastic lines, really fantastic. Including the, I really wanted to ride a horse. (laughs) Was quite nice as well. But he... They really wrote the Sontarans well. You say they? Not what... Chibbers. Oh, Chibbers, sorry. Chibbers really wrote the Sontarans well, with one exception. Mm-hmm. Is it in my bad lines paragraph? Oh, it's not... Oh, not a line as such. Oh, okay. More... But I'm very curious about your bad lines. Very curious. <laughs> I was going to say the Sontarans... Are there uniforms built in such a way that they are unable to perceive anything happening behind them, for example? Like, you could just walk behind them and no one notices. You can you can open doors, they don't hear it. You can sneak up to them. They are fucking bred to be super soldiers, and you could just, like, walk up to them with a walk. You can do anything you like in their presence, and they will never hear you, they will never catch you, they can never... It's incredibly easy to infiltrate their base, etc., yeah. etc. In the era where every new car has a rear-facing parking camera... Yeah. <laughs> it's... These guys... Yeah, indefensible. Yeah. If you're... Okay, we don't have one of those weird neck anuses, but... Yeah, portic link or whatever it's called. If, if we're standing with our back to a door... We and someone opens that door. We turn around and look at that door, right? Like we we are aware that someone's behind us. Yeah. <laughs> Although I haven't gone through the soldier training, so maybe it's just our fear that's making us turn around. And the true brave warrior sticks to his post, even if that post is looking in a single direction until he is relieved of duty. Uh, lawyered. Well done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's right. Military hierarchy. My bad line is... Yes, please. If you have any words, now is the moment to keep them to yourselves! I thought that was very lame. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just a meh line to me. The yeah. thing that sticks out in that scene is that why is the one person who is in charge of the entire temporal fleet overseeing individual... I don't think that's him. I oh. think that's I one of racist? his clones. Oh, of course, they look the same. Because they're all clones, aren't they? Although him and 
Dan Starkey look different, Skuck and Svild or whatever. Or maybe that's Risk. There's someone called Riskor as well. And I think it might be Riskor who's in charge of the execution. Let's have a look. Yeah, Ritskor. Commander Ritskor of Sontaran Temporal Command. Oh, Dagnabbit, I was being racist. <laughs> but, but they are all clones. Yeah. So, no. <laughs> yeah, but he probably introduced himself and I just went, oh, that's a foreign name, isn't it? I... <laughs> <laughs> Um, JK Podcast Land. Okay. Sontaran question. Okay. <laughs> Does this episode posit that all Sontarans go and top up their reserves at the same time? If they're on Earth, they, then yeah, apparently. That seems monumentally dumb. Like, why would everyone... Oh, the army... Everyone in the army is on lunch break right now. Everyone's on... It's <laughs> nap time. <laughs> Everyone's having a nap. <laughs> That's the plot asterisk in Britain. When the Romans invade, they're able to just take the country because it's tea time. I've totally forgotten about this. I read, <laughs> I read those when I was a child. Oh, my God, good memory. Well done. Yeah, it, it's complete nonsense because surely you would have these tanks just constantly cycling and they, they would each be drawing a little bit of it. You'd have, well, goodness, it's seven and a half minutes and 27 hours. You, you would have one brigade at a time going in and and that way it wouldn't go from 100 to zero and then have to crank itself back up what if one guy's late is he is he out of luck does he just asphyxiate right then and there because every ship in the fleet is drained okay here's another question for you the sontaran who's imprisoned taken care of by mary c seacole yes how long has he been imprisoned there? How long has he been shackled? More than 24 hours? Certainly long enough for her to note the length of the cycles. So he has gone through at least one period where he should have been replenished and hasn't been. Yeah. So how is he still alive? Yeah. Good question, Leon. Yeah. Well, okay. I mean, th- this brings me on to a new segment, Let's, oh, which I like to call Replenish Shoulds and <laughs> Replenish Shouldn'ts. Oh, great. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) If your armies depend on a crucial supply feed, should you A, run said feed around the outside of the ship behind a handily accessible access panel for any saboteurs who who happen to be in the area, or B, put it deep inside as far as possible so that no one will ever find it and it's secure against all threats? I can't remember which option was which, but the answer is just no. Yeah. Just, just no. No. Yeah, shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> it's taking the ridiculous portal link, the walkable control button on the back of their necks, and just, yeah, making that applicable to all of them at once. I, I did really enjoy Doc uh, oh. Dennis the Menacing, one yeah. of those from afar. That was pretty nice. And I liked her reaction. I can't remember what she says. Like, Double oh, top. That's it, yeah. Nice. I like that. That, that felt like a... 13th Doctor moment. Mm. But you're right. They are. There are just too many of those vents being smacked in this episode. It's all of a sudden they are utterly harmless. In fact, I would assume that this means that Dan's parents, whom I also want to hear opinion about because I have opinions about them, certainly. <laughs> it means that they, at least his dad and the drunken guy, what was his name? Sausage Pete or something like oh, that? Oh, from Birkenhead. Baconhead. Birkenhead. Is that a place? Yes. Oh, okay. Birkenhead. Oh, Birkenhead. I thought his name was Baconhead. Uh, <laughs> that's Baconhead why I said, from Birkenhead. That's, that's why I said, oh, Sausage Pete. Oh, you know Baconhead. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, Baconhead. 
that means that drunk bacon head and Dan Stevens' dad. Yeah, Dad Stevens. Dad Stevens. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it's my own joke, and I love it. They've they've also uh, whooped Sontaran's super soldier ass. Yeah. <laughs> We're getting on to unanswered question 10. Oh, let's hear it. You got 25 Sontarans in your curfew squad chasing Dan da- down the street. Yeah. Where did the other 23 go, leaving just the two heads for Dan's parents to opportunely bash in? Oh, hang on. Wait, there is a line. It says divide and cover all escape routes. So that's what's happened. They're not chasing Dan anymore. The other 23 are just running off. In other directions where there is no one to attack. Yeah, no chance of him getting there. No, nonsense. I see why you wrote that line, Chip, as it's not good enough. Liverpool in 2021 is odd to me. Mm -hmm. Dan Stevens shows up. Everyone knows that there is a curfew. They've been around two days. The Sontarans. Two days, three days, whatever it is. Yeah. They've already enforced a curfew. Everyone is buying into this. There is no police. There's no army. There's no resistance. Nothing. Everyone is just like, nope, we're falling in. We are now enslaved by these alien potatoes. Pretty hardcore potatoes with some serious firepower, so... Which Dan Stevens' parents, who are driving around in a car... With the headlights on. Can easily evade, attack, everything. Yeah. I cannot take any of the peril seriously. The only thing that ever... Even when in... in, Yeah, it's Doc's timeline. So Doc's subplot with the massive army battle, the massacre. Yeah. That's the one time. Like, you know what? They are... They're fierce. They're badass. They are unstoppable. Yeah. They are mowing down the 19th century's premier military unit. Yeah. So let's just walk behind this one Sontaran because they can't see behind them. They can't hear behind them. They don't hear steps. They don't know anything. Let's just walk behind them. Into their base. Okay, that was easy, easily done. Hey, Mary Seacole, do you want to just, like, sit here, not sleep for 24 hours, and take notes in your file of facts? Yeah, all right, sure. What is she writing in her file of facts? I saw everyone go and have a nap once. Oh, okay, great. How did you measure that? Did Are you wearing a watch? Like, <laughs> how, how do you know exactly when this happened and how long it... Like, this does... None of this adds up. Mm. And all of a sudden, it turns out they are not fierce. They're not badass. They're not unstoppable because it takes nothing to stop them. In Liverpool in 2021, you drive around in a car. Every, they're enforcing the strict curfew, except for anyone who is out doing donuts in a car. Well, yeah, they might as well be doing donuts. When I saw that the headlights were on the car as it pulled up to the docks, and they could see all the ships being built, there's people executed just the other side of the chain link fence, yeah. where they're parked full beam. And it's just so stupid. I vaguely remember when Mickey Ricky was part of a van full of misfits and and <laughs> they had they had the the nows to go running what is it dark running I can't remember um, I, I know what you mean yeah with the headlights off is what I'm saying like, oh I see it's, oh it's I did not know what this was right, right. concept like when a submarine goes goes yeah. dark we're, we're getting dark uh, yeah, now yeah, all yeah. of a sudden you hear the boop yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah and they had the van equivalent and these these buffoons are just like yeah, where do you think these beams of light are coming from? It was they, so simple, it just vexed me. I can't even get to the end of the sentence. I'm so annoyed. And this is another Chibas coinkidink as well. Because of there is no such thing as a resistance. But Dan Stevens' parents, he has just yeah. been sent there from... Where has he been sent? From the future? No, from the past. He's just been 
thrown to an alternate Liverpool 2021 yeah. right in front of his parents. Everyone is scared to go outside, but his parents are fine to be outside, right next to him. Well, you know why that is? No. Because they've lost contact with him. He's been gone for two or three days. His house is gone, so they can't wait for him in there. So they're parked just around the corner. So there is an alien invasion. Yep. Dan Stevens is not the only person who's been separated from his folks. No. There's he an might alien, be the only one on that road. There is an alien invasion, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Also, how shitty is his neighbour in number 49? Yeah, who's just like, oh, don't look at me. Fuck off. Yeah. 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 Don't come inside. Just yeah, take your chances with the curfew squad. Yeah, that's not okay. No. Uh, and the woman who looks out her window and just goes, hey, do you know what time it is? It's curfew o'clock is what time it is, Dan Stevens. Yeah. Like, what are you doing out on the street? She should just be going, come in. Yeah, come unfortunately, in. it's also... Also, Dan Stevens, you're kind of cute. Come in. Yeah. <laughs> My door is locked o'clock. Soz. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <sighs> yeah. No, those are Chibber's level coinkidings that I'm not a huge fan of, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah. I have some cast notes on Dan's parents while oh. we're talking about them. I'm very curious to hear them. They both have acted in Brookie before. What is Brookie? Brookie is Brookside. Oh. A uh, soap set in Liverpool. Right, okay. Yeah. Is it good? It was cancelled about 25 years ago. <laughs> After how many years? I think it ran for a good 20-odd. That's pretty solid. Yeah. Well done. Yeah. I think it was Channel 4 soap before Hollyoaks. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Paul Broughton, or Broughton, or whatever. Broughton. Played, played <laughs> Neville. He seems to have made a living playing Scousers. Oh, really? In the 51st... <laughs> in the 51st state, he played Anfield Commissioner. 51st state? Is that the Sam Jackson... Um, Carlisle. Exactly, yeah. Yes, it is exactly that. I've not seen it, but I do remember those two being in the trailer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Paul Broughton has also appeared in Liverpool One, which I think okay. is some sort of Liverpool police drama. In His Life, The John Lennon Story. Oh, right. And Mercy Beat. Not familiar with that. No, no. but just typecast as a scouser. Sue oh, okay. Jenkins played Mum Stevens, and she played Eileen in this episode. What a curious name for someone who's never listened to our podcast to choose. <laughs> <laughs> Surely just a coincidence. No one outside of Pandorica has ever been called Eileen. No, no. It's one. a name we invented. Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> actually, that's not true because Sue Jenkins also appeared in Being Eileen. Oh. She played Maureen. Oh. No. <laughs> <laughs> but she was also in Brookie and Collie and Emmerdale. Oh, right, yeah. Yeah, so. Okay. Soap. Soaps galore. Yeah. And I didn't think much of her acting. I've got to say it. Soap-level acting. Well, I guess, yeah. Where the hell have you been? Well, yeah, they're farcical slapstick characters. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, 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 no. Oh, no. Hey, no. Now no. I am questioning their concern for their son. <laughs> as am I questioning his filial duties. Dude, so they are prepared to camp out in a car in defiance of curfew of the alien invasion. Yeah. And then when they finally do get their son, they don't go, oh, we're so happy that you're alive. They go, yeah, here, take this walk and run into the alien fleet station assembly whatever risk your life run into certain death and he doesn't go mum dad turn down the lights go dark and uh, very gently drive out of here he just goes yeah i'll take your single weapon your kitchen based weapon 
And yeah. I'll leave you to geriatrics to fend for yourselves, the oh. dogs. But it's what I said before, last week. It's the Liverpool attitude. It's never knowing when you're beaten. Never say die. I don't buy it. No, no I don't no, buy it. No, yeah, no. Very lazy. Yep, yep, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're part of the episode. Also, it slowed it right down. Like, they spent a bit too long in that car. Yeah. Yeah. I thought, do you like Dan as a character? It's not unalloyed delight. Go on, where are you going with this? Well, I think he's just a little bit too Dan. <laughs> you know, if, if, what? If, if, if they could just tone down the Dan, I'd probably be okay with him. Semi-okay with him. But he's just so fucking Dan. He's... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Here's what I mean by that. He's, okay, please. He's way too good. He's way too naive. He's not way too good. He's got dodgy pictures on his phone. Yeah, they're all pictures of his... of his. Yeah. That's why his neighbour across the street won't let him in. The pictures of his neighbour, maybe. Oh, maybe? Yes, maybe he's... No, 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 no. Okay. Anyway, he's... he's He's too he's too dumb. He's too dumb when he needs to be dumb and he's too oh. brave when he needs to just be a little bit brave. So if either he's just a good guy and he works at a food bank, yeah, oh my parents are here, I'm going to keep you safe, don't worry. Or maybe I'll I'll be the new leader of the resistance for a bit. Well, I think maybe I can do that, but actually I lack the tactician's mind. I can't strategize. I'm not a military figure. How am I going to... I'm not a general. I'm not Napoleon. What am I supposed to do? Exactly. But here somehow he is... He's the, uh, kindergarten cop and John McLean and whoever else rolled into one, but he's a dude who doesn't understand the most rudimentary things around him. So how does that work? Like, it, it, right, he, yeah. He is too Dan. I see, yes. A personality is supposed to be made up of a modulated orchestral symphony of characteristics and some things are playing loud and some things are playing quiet. Or if you pick an archetype, stick with that archetype. Yeah, but with Dan, all the faders are pushed way up. And so in every scene, something is just blasting at you. Yeah. If you were to average out the IQ of every character John Candy ever played, that's kind of Dan. Okay. But but he has he also has this odd super altruistic Rambo side to him, <laughs> which is incongruous with that. No, I'm not on board for Dan. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, Dan. Yeah, I didn't have that big a problem with Dan. <laughs> <laughs> Like I said, more of a problem with his parents. Yeah, okay, I also had a problem with his parents, but yeah. <laughs> I did like when Dan and Doc were doing the synchronized line thing. Yeah, that was Where's fun. Yaz? You go first. Yeah. It was just long enough, and then, then it was done. Yes, agreed. I also really liked one Dan line delivery, which was after he's walked a guy. Mm-hmm. Or the first thing he says, like, oh, I was just looking for the loo or whatever it I is. I was just looking for the peer ed. Which is... Can you translate that into English, please? The pier head. The oh, pier head. the person in charge of the pier? It could be. Or, or the toilet be, on the... Or it could be a pub on the end of the pier, maybe. Yeah, okay, yeah. I assumed it was the loo at the time. Like, I got lost, I was looking for the loo. But it doesn't matter. So yeah. he says that he walks someone, thinks he's gotten away scot-free. Lots yeah. of Santorans who can't aim for shit show up, and he immediately repeats the line. I quite yeah. like that. Yes, that was I did done. too. That was in my paragraph of good lines. I think, we said this before we press record, we probably have discussed this episode in brief, in some, like in a bonus capacity somehow, tucked into another review. Yeah. And I feel like maybe I have said this before. If not, I may have said this off 
off the record, okay. I was almost convinced that he was going to use the wok as a as a shield, as in as a bulletproof vest kind of deal. <laughs> he was gonna the man with no name it. He was gonna Marty McFly it, but with the wok. Yeah, except to catch a Sontaran laser shot, he would have had to chuck it across the room because they would have formed a perfect exclusion zone 10 feet around him in every direction because wow the Sontarans are terrible shots terrible absolutely awful yeah from the beginning to the end apart from as you say when they're going against the imperial british army it's just no i i was beginning to hatch a theory of oh maybe these aliens they haven't properly calibrated their weapons to work on earth or something because (laughs) Well, but then the Cybermen miss all across the universe. No, it's just... Well, some of them are firing lasers inside cockpits of a spaceship. They don't hit him. It's not a big cockpit. But they also don't damage the cockpit. There are lasers flying everywhere. Okay, here's something else I want to talk to you about. All right, all right, okay. Uh, I'm getting upset. So in order to destroy these ships, you take off with them, you turn it around, which is pretty badass, mm-hmm. and then you crash. You ram that spaceship into other spaceships. Yeah. Or or, or you light about as much gunpowder as you alone can carry without any one of the people you're traveling with can notice mm. next to a spaceship. And that is enough to destroy the entire fleet and everyone aboard. Yes. Mm. Blowing up that, that pile of gunpowder, A, I'm sure it's less than firing lasers inside a cockpit, but it must be tantamount to a pebble hitting the outer hull as it flies through an asteroid field or something. That's nothing. It's just a bit of gunpowder. It means absolutely nothing. So why can that general destroy the entire fleet with... And where did he get the gunpowder from? He was with Doc and uh, Mary Seacole the whole time. Oh, but there was a bit of side eye. He had an underling go and fetch it for him. Yeah, still not enough. And then what? Yeah. Like, d- draw that massive... <laughs> <laughs> that black trail. Yeah. It's pretty silly. It's a badass move. It is a baller, but yeah. it's so dumb. I, unfortunately, was taken back to its direct forerunner, which was the guy, the random target of Tim Shaw in The Woman Who Fell to Earth. When Tim Shaw is beaten and the doc is about to send him back to his world to die... Let's be clear, with the DNA bombs going off on his skin. And the guy kicks him off the crane, and the doc is really angry. She's like, why would you do that? It's exactly the same thing that's happening here. Yeah, that's true. So, yeah. Yeah, that's true. And like, what what point are we making here? Because I've resisted the whole, hey, look... The villain every every week is a white guy. So it's an unreconstructed white dude from history. And there are plenty of them. They deserve criticism. They're really hammering it home here. <laughs> Especially when Mary Seacole, and she has every right to, because she is by far the better human being of the two. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm not questioning that in any way. She's right there to be like, but thank you, Doc, for seeing past this, this fucking idiot. Because, you know, we're not all like that. Yeah, well done, Mary Seacole. Yeah. 
who you also pointed out off the record, makes a, a little jibe at Florence Nightingale. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she throws some shade. Florence Nightingale has been in... It has popped up here and there in the universe. Mm-hmm. I looked this up earlier. I have obviously closed the tab. But oh, that's okay, because I've just opened it anew. And Florence Nightingale showed up in, I think, a couple of audiobooks. But one audiobook in particular, in which featured the... Seventh Doctor mm. and Hex. Oh, we know Hex. We met Hex. We 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 were in the Hex introduction episode. I think that's the first Hex episode, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's called the Angel of. <laughs> I'm not wearing my glasses. I just read Scrotum. The Angel of Scutari. Oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Mary Seacole, very worthy in- individual from history, mm. British history. To I liked the whole uh, educational vibe we got. The, this is a really interesting part of history that has been overlooked unfairly. Like, yeah. let's put it front and center. Yeah, that was nice. This that's part of the reason I'm giving this episode such a high mark because it. I mean, okay, I guess you can just pick a period arbitrarily with the flux because you'd have the capacity to invade any part of Earth's history at the Sontarans with the time ships and follow that and et cetera, et cetera. But still, this is a good one to pick. I agree. Without necessarily... This is using multiple locations well. Mm. This is not just Chibbers putting massive, gigantic, all-caps place names on screen. This is actually going places where, yeah, we, we learn about the context and where it factors into the plot in a creative way. I, I like the fact that no one knows what a Russian is, but everyone knows what a Sontaran is. That's kind of a cool thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although, this does bring me to one of my least favorite bits of the episode, <gasps> but it is hilariously bad, I think. And that is the, oh, let me look at this map. Oh, oh man. <laughs> Britain's there, okay. Oh, Jamaica's still around, okay. But what is this right next to my hand? I can't tell. Santa! (laughs) (laughs) In letters ten times the size of anything else on the map. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) re-adonculus. Completely ridiculous. In my notes, it was nice fun with the map. (laughs) Yeah, fair enough. (laughs) Because it is so cheesy. And so naff that that's the route she takes to the obvious takeaway. So there are a few characters we haven't talked about. Oh, yeah. At all. Like who? Well, we haven't talked about... There's a whole subplot of Dan Stevens and his pooch buddy. Can't remember his name now. Oh, Carvanista. Carvanista, yeah. Yeah. How do you feel about Carvanista? I thought that Carvanista was perfectly deployed in the sense of, like Swarm and Azure, I had pretty much forgotten about them. The episode seemed to have settled into its channel, its niche. Like, this is who we're getting this week. And then Swarm and Azure appear, and it's like oh, fantastic, this is exactly what I wanted to see and I never even knew it at this point. And then <laughs> you think Dan is toast and then <laughs> I've seen him described as a bungle from Bolton because of the rainbow, the bear, the, you know, rainbow, right? No. So, oh, Jeffrey hung around with George Zippy and Bungle. George was a hippo. Zippy was some weird kind of fly with a zip across his face. Bungle was a giant bear costume on top of this six-foot dude. So that's why... I'm looking at an image of Bungle right now. Yeah. So this is why the Carvanista is Bungle from Bolton. Nice. But, yeah, when he's like, I've still got a human in the game, and starts wielding his laser axe. Ah, oh, I just, like... It wasn't quite a punch-the-air moment, but it was like, oh, oh, yes. Yeah, that is that is pretty mm. nice. Do you know who is absolutely shit, though? Every other Lupari out there. Like, they all have a human. 
Yes. W- where are they? Where were they when the three saboteurs wannabe were summarily executed in front of Dan five minutes earlier? Yeah. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> where is Yaz's looper? No one no one but Carvinista cares. No. Yeah. <laughs> and also, he says that he's only there because he got the blame. Oh, really? Yeah. Let me find the line. <laughs> okay. It's our responsibility talking about how the... Sontarans got through the shield. Well, my responsibility, because I got the blame, as usual. When he was the one who carried, who passed on the Doctor's orders to tessellate in the way they did yeah. and form a shield, presumably ahead of time, and now he's getting blamed and so he's the only one there. Yeah, where are the other seven? No, wait, eight billion. So I don't like this shield. No. <laughs> no, 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 no. Did, did the flux just... Did it envelop the Earth... And then pass through it, go past the Earth. On its merry way. Is it now destroying, gobbling up the rest of the universe on the Earth, on the far side? Is, is Earth basically safe forever now? Apparently, because as Dad Stevens and co said, it was a three-minute eclipse. Yeah. So they just needed to stay in place for three minutes, and then the threat was, was gone. Yeah, that's, mm. that also feels chibbersy. Yeah. It should be perpetual night with the looper ships still keeping it Earth safe. In fact, the Doctor says... When she's going off with Dan, you guys need to stay here. Yeah. To Carvanista et al. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or, or you could, it, not or, and you could also say something like, effectively clarify why the other Lupas are not there, or Lupari aren't there, yeah. because they have to remain in their ships, because if they don't, then the flux gets in, it gets past them. They have to constantly remain vigilant. They could only spare that one person who was the person who wasn't part of the tessellation in the first place, namely Carvanista, which is why he's not part of it. Yeah. And then you can play with his anguish because he really wants to be part of it. He wants to be part of his kennel. You know, he wants to protect <laughs> the earth alongside his peers, but yeah. he can't because he can't go up there. And that could be why he's so annoyed at Dan all the time rather exactly. than just animosity for the sake of humor yeah yeah don't get me wrong i really like those two together i would i would happily watch a buddy cop spin-off kind of show or a porno like with those two it'd be, it'd be fantastic <laughs> you and tails dude <laughs> goodness sake <laughs> <laughs> that, that 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 would that would work they've got really good chemistry those two yeah mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah hmm. yeah i would very much like a reason to be given for we don't see any looper other than no I would really like another reason to be given for we only see one looper than budgetary constraints. Yeah. Because they threw the whole budget at this episode. I made a note right near the beginning, mm-hmm. which is we see Vinder, he's regaining consciousness. And you see flashbacks to when he was crash landing on time. And you see like three different shots of him. And these shots all had to be set up and directed and sequenced and the sparks had to fly and the effects had to be added. And the three of them together amount to about half a second of footage. And it's so much care and labour has gone into crafting that to the absolute minutiae. Like, I was just really impressed. Yeah, production of, of this entire season to date is mm. tremendously impressive. Mm-hmm. Really impressive. They have chucked tons of budget on it, but also so much talent. The sets look terrific. The 
costumes look terrific. We get Sontarans here. The Sontarans look amazing. Oh, goodness. Like, really, really good. Yeah. Yeah, you can buy them as living, breathing, battered, belligerent creatures. Yeah. What else? A wet dog. A wet Carbonista looks oh. so good. Yeah, yeah, He looked exactly like he would if he had just gotten out of the river. Like, it's... No, I really, really liked it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good stuff. Mm. I was also impressed by... There's a shot... It reminded me of Lord of the Rings in terms of scale and music and just the setup when Doc and Mary Seacole are looking down onto yes. the... And it's a bit like Sam and Frodo at the end, but it's also, I think, there's like the bridge at Casa Doom or something or or just all of that. And, and I thought this compares pretty well this holds its own absolutely which astounds me just to be saying it like yeah the, the scale of it is really impressive yeah slash the lord of the rings trilogy the peter jackson trilogy that cgi hasn't aged well but it doesn't matter no you're right this is a tv production and it looks incredibly cinematic hmm. yeah very well done very well done bbc yeah there was a real army there there, there wasn't well, there probably was three dudes, and then they were just multiplied exponentially by, by thousands. But boy, was it done well. <laughs> yeah, totally agree. I would have liked, actually, now I say that, to have a couple more Sontarans. I, I get that they are clones, so the same guy would have had to do more work, and it would have been a logistical nightmare. But, yeah, the one of every kind thing. There's the one general, and he is as shit as he is because he's completely unopposed. There are no other soldiers who get to have any kind of input whatsoever. There's one Carvanista. There's two Sontarans until one kills the other. <laughs> the, the A great scene, by the way. I actually mm. felt bad for the Sontaran who gets executed. Yeah. The Sontar yeah, yeah. Ho scene. I sympathised with that Has guy. Has Sontar Ho ever come up before? Not that I can think of. So could this be original to that? Like we've had Sontar Ha for ages and Sontar Ho is like their slightly elegiac one concession to feelings in the face of execution. Yeah, maybe it's the very last time that you, the, the literal last hurrah of, of a Sontaran. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's pretty badass. Unless it means, I don't speak Sontaran, so I don't know what it means, but it might mean something really quite naff. <laughs> I don't think you can put too much meaning on the word ho besides its context of use, but that's what I'm saying. Like To save that, to save that and to be able to insert that here, if Chibbers spotted that opening himself, yeah, he well done. borrowed it from anywhere. No, oh. Well done. Well done, Chibbers. Yeah, great spot. Yeah, And I think I started trying to map Doctor Who showrunners onto foes. Like, RTD, he is a Dalek. He can run the universe if he wants. He, he is a fearsome foe. Moffat has a mechanical mind, a bit like a Cyberman, even though all his Cyberman episodes were terrible. But Chibbers, like, he is a bit second tier, like the Sontarans are. But boy, does he give it a go. <laughs> like, he throws everything at it. It's, there are weaknesses. There are big, obvious, glaring weaknesses. But when it's enjoyable, ah, oh, it's... I relish it. Yes, same. Yeah, no, I'm not going to say anything negative. Same. I am on board with what you're saying. I have another unanswered question. Okay. This one may have an answer. What has happened to Di, Diane, whom Swarm and Azure, at the very end of the last episode, as part of the Omni cliffhanger, had just forced to walk into their haunted mansion? Because we get Swarm and Azure here, but no die. Yeah, we don't know yet. I remember what happens to her. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But, but you're right, we don't find out. Yeah. Passenger uh, looks cool, though. Yeah, yes, indeed. Yeah, <laughs> the gigantic sort of Schumacher-era Bane 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> who's who's <laughs> wandering around just so happily gimped up. A very fair question. We don't find out at all. Sub-question. Okay. Why doesn't Dan go looking for her? Why doesn't Dan Stevens give a shit about his date? Or at the very least, even mention her oh, as yeah, part of his mission of saving Liverpool and the world. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, maybe his parents wouldn't know Die, so I guess he can't ask them. He can't bring it up organically, but he could talk to himself. He's doing plenty of lone Rambo running. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. This is for you, Die, or something. I assume you're yeah. still alive, Die. Yeah. Don't worry, yeah. we'll have our dates. I'll find you. I'll do this, exactly, yeah. I'll do this and I promise I won't stand you up again. <laughs> yeah. But instead, at the end, Doc goes, hey, do you want to travel with me? He's just like, yeah, absolutely. Way better than going and seeing how Di is, if she's alive, if she's around. Oh, absolutely, because she picks him up from Liverpool. Yeah. Oh. Why don't I just go, Doc, yes, absolutely. Do you mind if we just stop by my friend Di's place first, just to make sure that she's okay? Yeah, yeah. Just, like, get that line in there. Done, done. Mm. Oh, dear. He's oh. too done. He is too done. Yes. Okay, this, this, this is a question with less of an answer. Okay. How does Carver needs to know the schematics to a Sontaran time ship, which is still under construction... Yeah. So that he can shoot straight through a wall to the waste tube and they can go shooting on out of there. I think he's just really, really into feces. Like he knows he knows exactly. He, he smelled it. That's yeah. it. He, yeah. he used his pooch nose to detect the nearest poop shoot. Yeah. That's what he does. He just wanted to roll in it and escaping happens to be a happy accident. Yeah. No, the river below them is is a drawback for him. <laughs> <laughs> I am no longer covered in feces. This is not what I signed up for. <laughs> okay, and my final question is, okay. how was the TARDIS hijacked and brought to the planet of time? Because the controls, you see the controls get tripped and the Doctor can't untrip them. So is that Swarm and Azure? I assumed that it was Swarm, but I don't think that we found out how he or as you have done it. Yeah. And it's something we may not get an answer to, and we don't necessarily need an answer to it, but every unanswered question like this carries the possibility of establishing that they have unfathomable powers, and then when they come to be undone yeah. or bested, you'll be like, well, why didn't they just use their unfathomable powers? <laughs> yeah. It's the same thing with, with the Sontarans. Like, you have 25 and you think, wow, that's a lot of Sontarans. Dan is toast. And it's like, ah, but we need to whittle it down to two within a few seconds so we can get out of it. But we want to have a cake and eat it too. And it's exactly. Like, yeah. Exactly. <sighs> we didn't talk about Howl's Moving Castle. The Doctor has the vision of the weird sepia-toned floating wooden oh, yeah. like, mansion at the beginning. She reaches towards it. I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. What's that about? That's in her... That's when she's in the Nexus, right? That's when she's been Nexused. Oh, maybe. Uh, essentially. Right, that's number 16. I just remembered that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. Everything goes sepia or black and white, and there's a castle on a hill, and then she snaps back to it. Is she... When she snaps back to it, does she wake up on the ground, or does she wake she does. up... Okay, right. Yeah. Going, the end of the universe! Oh, right. Yeah. Which I thought was pretty well acted. Yeah. Yeah. In, in, in fact, I'm going to end with that. I'm going to end with saying... 
Jodie once again like I was so pleased to have her being the doctor and being the impetus she was driving something forward in pretty much every scene she was in she was always seeking to gain the initiative she is on a mission she is barreling through this plot to try to get to the other side rather than just someone is expositing at her and she's like oh and it's subtracting from her she is doing so much she's doing more in this episode than she's done in entire series previously yeah she is way more of a plot driver here yeah than she's normally even given allowance for yeah and you said last week she's just the right amount of bastard i saw that whenever she went up against the general yeah when the general's pointing a freaking ornate gun in her face and he says try that again and she doesn't go silent she's not cowed by it she's just like don't do this she she just tries another line of attack it's great yeah yeah absolutely i tried to think of something else that she did but no i can't i can't put my finger on anything but but yes i'm with you i got that vibe off her throughout this entire episode yeah and the way that she's able to carry that momentum forward is guess what she has one companion in every scene and so they only need to deliver one line and then it's back to jody and she's off again rather than well, what's Graham going to say? And is he going to try and fist bump Ryan? And, oh, nope, Ryan's back to being a twat this week. And, oh, now we need to have Yaz ask a question. And, oh, my interest. Where did that go? Long ago. I can't even remember. Why am I watching this again? Like, none of that. Yeah. So much better. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yes. I was about to say, now that Yaz is mini Doc, mm-hmm. she also, at the moment, only has one companion, namely Vinda. Oh, yeah. Does that work? Because I thought their introduction worked, and then it very quickly turned into, no, nope, this doesn't work for me at all. Oh, right, okay. Yeah. Like, the whole sequence with the proximity activation, the... Like, effectively, everything past we've just met. I didn't really I didn't really like that. Yeah, there was some flab there that could have been trimmed. Yeah. But, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Chibbers has absolutely proven that he can write one Doctor, whichever one it is, and one companion, whichever one it is. Yeah. Quite well. Yeah. Yeah, well done, Chibbers. And well done, Whitaker. Yeah. Two episodes in a row. Yeah. Nice. Mm. Right. How, yeah, well, I think that's a pretty good note from which to seek to some rating. <laughs> Uai, let's... Hang on. Yes? You said put a pin in the cliffhanger way back when Uh, did we address it sufficiently we didn't but i don't remember how this pans out in the next one but okay how about this if time itself flows through vinda and yaz yeah and they are fine Mm. screw this episode yeah because it's clear they shouldn't be able to they are placed in a position of it's gonna happen it ends with us hearing him snap his fingers yes the cliffhanger is inevitable letdown i can see no other outcome honestly yeah unless something else diverts time itself and they're fine but yeah it's just kind of silly they're there they've got like weird face tattoos all of a sudden (laughs) yeah they're all gilded up yeah how stop gilding the lily (laughs) shivers yeah 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 i was coming at it from a slightly different angle which is that you think that Swarm is going to put Doc in the uncomfortable position of having to choose between Yaz and the universe. Yeah. Right? You think he's going to be like, I've, I've put her in this clearly untenable position. She's a human. Time will vaporize her in a nanosecond. As soon as time does the slightest bit of running wild with her, she's absolute toast. 
So what are you going to do about it, Doctor? And then he kind of lets her off. He's just like, nah, I'm going to go ahead and be evil and just set things in motion and you can watch. Yeah. It's less chewy. It's less engaging. Not a retro rewrite as such, but here's something else that he could have done. We start Flux with him having been incarcerated in... He's fully awake, he's fully aware, and he's been there for millennia. Yeah. Possibly like millions, billions of years, we don't know, since mm-hmm. the beginning of time, allegedly. Yeah, so people say. So people say. There's more than one free spot left on the Mori podium. Yeah. Pop Doc there, pop a cap in Vinda, or pop a cap in one of the Mori, <laughs> and just go, now, Doc, now time needs to flow through you. You can't move, because if you move, it'll disintegrate Yaz. You're going to have to be here, possibly for thousands of years, millions of years, billions of years. Mm. Neither one of you will ever age or expire on your own, Yeah. because you're here outside of time. And you both have to look at each other forever until someone comes and rescues you, which probably will never happen. Mm, that's nice. And by the way, since we're outside of time and we can mess with it, how about you have to free me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Originally, we can Bill and Ted this because it's the planet of time. We can do whatever the hell we like. And that's once you've done that, and I know something will happen that's when I will leave and not kill Yaz, and that's the best you're going to get. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You stuck looking at her for eternity. Immobile is the better option. Yeah, that would have been pretty badass. Yeah, Yeah, and then you can have a Lupari come and rescue them. Or Dan Stevens saunters down a corridor and ends up there because, hey, Coin Kid in Cali, or whatever else. Mm. Uh, It doesn't matter. Anyway, yeah, Yeah. that's about it. We were going to rate this, I think. Yeah. Let's... And now it is time to rate this. Did we laugh or hate this? Bing bong, bing bong, hey, la 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 la. Ratings. So you first or me first? I can go first if you like. All right. Okay. So I'm just going to come out with it. Once again, loved this episode. Sontaran on a horse put a big smile on my face, and it barely moved for most of the next hour. There were negatives. The general is the weakest character, he's wafer thin, he's just there to get scolded for his every blunder. But even he is acted wholeheartedly. That actor was putting the work in. And he perhaps isn't much different from the real-life Lord Cardigan who ordered the Charge of the Light Brigade. Ooh. Yeah. Wikipedia says of Lord Cardigan, his progression through the army was marked by many episodes of extraordinary incompetence. (laughs) (laughs) Although, and here's... An example of history being more interesting than the episode which says, isn't history interesting? Lord Luke and his superior actually ordered the charge of the Light Brigade, a man with whom Cardigan was not on speaking terms, because Lucan was married to Cardigan's sister what? and was treating her shabbily. Oh, wow. Real-life historical soap opera. Mad. Yeah. Absolutely mad that little personal co- constellations can affect history in that way. Those incestuous aristocrats. <sighs> yeah. Anyway, yeah. Jody takes him on with vigor. She's fierce. He's an arsehole. It's a shame he didn't get a bigger comeuppance, really. But Jody, throughout this episode, great. We've just said that. More good things. Sphil's receiving mercy in the form of immediate execution. An authentic Sontaran spin on mercy. The meaning is twisted, but it's embedded in who they are. It's an actual glimpse into an alien society that isn't about the Doctor or the plot of the week. It's not quite the Bechdel test, but do you see where I'm going with this? Yeah, I like it. Do you remember in our review of The Woman Who Fell to Earth when I pointed out how all the shots of the crane action were suspiciously from below? It was like, oh, oh, I see. That's quite inexpensively staged. Oh, I but see. <laughs> here, we have Dan's stunt double racing up the flights of stairs. 
on the crane and it pans back and becomes the most enormous effect shot of the Sontaran time fleet imaginable I know it's in the dark but it's still so impressive in three years two series it's come on incredibly and we were saying this was the Netflix Doctor Who era back then it's astounding the production values on this episode the music it was good again i liked all the little musical twinkles in the temple and the big stomping zimmerisms towards the end when shit got heavy i'm still on board for now with all that temple nonsense the mysterious time is destruction time must not be unleashed time is evil and it will seek its own like there's potential there and the direction in general excellent lovely shot of the cannon at dawn before the parlay and everything and the calm before the storm the shot of azure shaking the disintegrated triangle sand from her fingers as she walks off camera it's so beautiful and then that wipes to the battlefield carnage it's amazing Mary Seacole is not in the least bit surprised by electricity. Okay, that was random. So I saw some reviews for this episode, which were like the Sontarans. They're occasionally more brutal, but they're not properly scary again. And you've raised the point. It's a valid point that they are far too easily defeated Mm. for one of the universe's top tier or not so top tier warrior races. But is it possible to make the Sontarans properly scary again? Because they are potatoes, and even their squat little Goomba armor is strangely cute. Yeah, I don't see that and <laughs> feel fear at all. So I'm not going to mark it down for that. I think this is a good double-time march in the right direction, but I think that's as far as the Sontarans perhaps can get. Now, towards the rating, I'm still of the opinion this slightly shades the first episode because it behaves much more like a regular hour of serialised storyline while retaining the same epic scope and deploying its bumper cast to maximum effect. But nonetheless, you have made a number of good points tonight. Oh. This episode should bear the responsibility for the cliffhanger letdown. Okay. So I'm not going to give it a 4.4 like I was gonna... (gasps) Going to give it a 4.2. <laughs> I have prepared to... I've put one finger on four, one, point, one on point, and one on two, because I assumed that that was what we were gonna, you were going to do. It's <laughs> well, like, oh, wait, is it 4.2, 4.3? 4.2, 4.2, 4.2, you say? Yeah. Oh, okay, very good. Very good. Right. Okay, a fantastic mini. Right. Okay. I changed my rating during your mini. Eh? Yeah. You talked me up a little bit, actually. Oh, hooray. Yeah. All right. Here we go. So, so Doc. First of all, I, very, very. I'm gonna blast through this. So, Doc is Doc is terrific. Whitaker is doctoring it to the hilt. I am fully on board with this being the Whitaker era, the yeah. 13th Doctor era. Totally, totally on board with. After that. a couple of full starts, it's really starting to fly. Yeah. Yeah. No. What are a few seasons between Friends? That's <laughs> fine. Yeah. The companions as well. Did I did I say companions? I'm so used to there being too many of them. Wait, there are too many of them. I totally forgot about Dan Stevens of Wade to Dan fame. Yes, the companions are both <laughs> fine. My only qualm in this regard is that I sense that Chibber's companion gland is twitching mm. and he's trying desperately to write more of them into it. Would not have been surprised if Dan Stevens' fucking parents had remained in this one for the duration. <laughs> and Carvinista. And what the shit is the deal with Vinda? Even the bad guys got a companion in this one. Yeah, they did. <laughs> The bad guys, by the way, we had so preciously little of them in this one that it was perfect. Keep us wanting more Chibbers. This Mm. is the secret sauce, just like oozing out of his magical bravo Chibbers and co. Production value, 
As I said, we agree on this. It is terrific. It makes my nethers tingle. Greatest asset, Doc Overall. Or greatest assets, actually. I'm going to list two. Doc Overall. And I'm including in that that one scene of Yaz being the faux doctor. The, the what would doctor do? Mm. Great. Love it. But otherwise, possibly even more so, the multi-temporal nature of this plot. The fact that the Centaurans are waging war from multiple points in time. It doesn't make any sense, by the way, but it's great. It's fantastic. In 2021, we didn't talk about this, but in 2021, Liverpool, they shouldn't be going, the Suntorans have been here for three days. They should be going, the Suntorans have been here since way before Mary Seacole's time, for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they haven't been defeated in the past yet. They haven't left yet. So they should... Why aren't those Suntorans still around? Why? Yeah, anyway. At yeah, the so... very least, there should be some ripple effects. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. But that notwithstanding, I think it's really cool. I like that we're getting this multi-temporal stratagem. Yeah, very cool. Biggest flaw, the Suntorans are way too easy to follow, to deceive, detonate, defeat, yada, yada, yada. Main takeaway, I am downgrading this one for all the logical inconsistencies and the lazy chibberisms, but it's still a freaking good episode, and Flux so far is by far the best of Whitaker and Chibbers. It's still a damn fine cup of TV. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I wrote 4.2. <gasps> Then I listened to your mini, what? and halfway through, I went and was like, no, I'm going to change this to 4.4. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's bizarre. Yeah. Okay. There you go, 4.4. Yeah, to me, this is better than the last one. Well, that's what I thought. I know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> We've just crossed each other's time streams. It's yes, like, exactly. Ugh. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit, a bit, a bit weird. Ripple bit effects. Weird. Yeah, All right, that's what we think. Mm. Are we the only people in the world with opinions? Well, I hope not. Otherwise, why are we doing this? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Let's listen to some listener minis, shall we? Let's. Listener minis. Now let's hear from podcast land. Max 250. Or it would get out of hand. Because blammer ho. It's the listener mini section of this episode. Whoop whoop. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. First up, we have Kieran Evans. What up, Kieran? Kieran starts. So what would we prefer? Sontar or Russia? It's a tricky one. No comment. Yes. Yep, yep. <laughs> Kieran continues less geopolitically. A Sontaran on a horse. Ha ha ha. There's something about this one that just works for me. Weirdly serious and silly at the same time. Properly bloodthirsty Sontarans. Stupid British commanders. Chibnall has a lot of faults, but I do think he's actually fairly good at writing classic monsters. His stories for the Daleks and Cybermen are actually really strong for them, if not for the rest of the story around them. Handling the Sontarans well is a rare thing, with classic who only doing it great once, and good another time, and then two misses. So I'm happy with what we got here. Nice to have Mary Seacole rather than Florence Nightingale. Patients under Nightingale actually had a really bad survivability rate, even for the time, which you probably wouldn't have thought, given the general pop history take on her. Yeah. Big finish of Donna Florence Nightingale's story already, so again, this keeps it fresh. One annoyance is they don't really resolve the cliffhanger from last time. They ignore it and move forward with very little mention. So what of the other plot threads? Dan back in Liverpool is fine and fits in with the Crimean stuff. Yaz in the temple is more teasing for next time's ep. Now, this cliffhanger is a really good one, with the Doctor and Swarm selling the moment. And good that you can hear the click, so you can't do the old cop-out of, wait! Yeah, a countdown that counts down. Is that the kind of countdown that is okay in your book? Yeah. Okay. Countdown that leads somewhere. I said this before. Yeah, okay, yeah. Kieran concludes with a rating, oh, a fantastic rating. Let's hear it! 
of 4.3 out of 5. Now, we're just orbiting around you, Kieran. Yeah, yeah. What, Like a UN peacekeeper. <laughs> <laughs> Kieran is lodged firmly between us. Very nice, Kieran. Thank you very much. I really want to thank Kieran for this, but I want to do so in the most environmentally conscious way possible. Yes. How can I do so whilst at the same time perhaps taking advantage of the opportunity and ferrying large boxes of things from point A to point B? Well, you can reduce your carbon dioxide emissions and enhance your transport capabilities by following Kieran on Twitter at KJEvans2. That's right. KJ for kilojoule, obviously. Yeah, for your Evans2. That's right. Thank you very much, (laughs) Kieran. Who's next? Next up, it's Isaac. Hello, Isaac. Isaac begins, after the madness of the Halloween apocalypse, it's nice to have a breather episode, which sees the Doc and her friends split up between three diverging plot points. Russia has been corrupted by a warmongering potato. (laughs) And in this episode, Russia has also become Sonta. The 13th Doctor has a run of great stories set in the past, and I think a big part of the fun is the new dynamic of no one powerful listens to the silly lady, which lets Jodie Whittaker flex her Doctor's more frustrated, argumentative side. I'm not a Sontaran fan, so the bar is set low, but Flux has the best Sontarans in it. Uglier, scrappier, nastier, better. Dan Starkey gets to continue playing exclusively funny Sontarans, which is nice too. Yes, yeah, agreed. Isaac continues, we also get to see more of Dan, who has fun skulking around hitting Sontarans with a wok. My biggest complaint about Flux as a whole is the lack of showing present-day Earth post-Flux. And here I'm left with more questions. Mm -hmm. If the planet is covered by the Lupari shield, how come we can see the sky? The moon? Is there still a moon? The mini (laughs) Dan? That's a very good question. (laughs) The mini Dan and Carvanista flying out of the Centauran ship like Pucci returning to his home planet is adorable. (laughs) Great reference. Atropos is wonderfully weird. Priest Triangle is so cute. And the Mori look bonkers and amazing. Swarm continues to be incredible. And he's stylish as hell. Yes, agreed. I want that coat. With those shoulder pads? Yeah. I actually think Azure hit the front in this episode. Yeah? As well. Yeah. She did way better this week than last week. Oh, absolutely evil. Yeah, yeah. Mm. No, she's very good. And Isaac concludes another solid, exciting story that has dragged me further invested. More! More! Says Isaac and gives this 3.8 out of 5. Very, very nice. Fantastic mini. Holy smokes. Yeah, really good. Yeah, well done, Isaac. Peeps who are not Isaac, I know it's tough, but nobody's perfect. You can say hi to Isaac online. Isaac can be found where, Drew? Ms. Monster Adams. That's Adams with one D. Mm. Yeah. Thank you very much, Isaac. That's <laughs> Adams with one D. <laughs> That's why you did that, right? <laughs> no, but I really like it. Who's next? Next up, it's Daniel. Daniel McGinley. Daniel McGinley. Daniel McGinley. Hello, Daniel. McGinley. Daniel McGinns with the McGood. The Sontarans look fantastic. In fact, everything in the episode looks gorgeous. The line, are you expecting a response to your musings? Uh, a friend who agrees with us. Marvellous. The Crimean setting and the alternate reality of Sontarans instead of Russians is inspired. Dare I say it? The Doctor is really doctory. Thumbs up. Dare, Daniel. Dare to say it. Swarm is the best villain of the 13th era. Brilliant look and great performance. Swarm asking Yaz, why did she choose you? A great question. Yeah, that was really brave to include in the script. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he does caveat it by saying, or any of you. It's like, yeah, yeah but we know what you're thinking. <laughs> 
The Sontaran plan continues, Daniel. Invasions throughout time rather than of time. Nice. And last of the Magoods, Sontaran Temporal Command. More, please. But Daniel has also listed some McBirds. First, people teleporting willy-nilly in time and space is lazy and convenient writing. Agreed. The Sontaran's shooting aim has nosedived since the Poison Sky. And how? Mm. Next up, Dan. Oh, you don't say. (laughs) Next up, The Walk. After that, Dan with The Walk. And after that, Dan with the walk and walk puns. Oh, didn't they walk for you? <laughs> Finally, the probic vent. After battling the Rutans for 50,000 years, this weakness should have been fixed by now. See Dalek going upstairs in remembrance. In that yeah. he did. Yeah, yeah. That, that is a fair point. You know what? I really want to see a Suntaran versus Rutans episode in New Who. Mm. I want to see that. I want to see the Rutans in New Who. Yeah. Yeah, good stuff. Nice one. Daniel continues. A master of battle psychology wrestler Jake the Snake Roberts posited that when talking about your opponent, never describe them as useless. The theory being that if you beat them, you've only defeated rubbish, and if you lose, you're beaten by garbage. In Doctor Who, or any drama, a strong protagonist makes a babyface victory even sweeter. Finally, the Santarans are treated with respect and made to look strong. The best thing Chibbers has done! Excellent work! And Daniel gives this an excellent rating of 3.9 out of 5. Nice. Very nice. Mm. Oh, wow. The same page club is fully stocked tonight. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much for that, Daniel. People who are not Daniel need, need to follow Daniel on the old Tweeteroonies and the old Instacakes at Daniel J. McGinley, all in one word, and planet underscore of underscore time. No, giants. <laughs> Thank you very much, Daniel. Who's next? Right, next up we've got Michael, Michael Ridgway. Ridgway. Hello, Michael. Love you, Michael. Welcome back, Michael. <laughs> Michael says, schnip, schnippity, schnip, 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 and concludes with a rating of four out of five Redcoats sorely regretting their commission to Crimea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Very nice. Thank you very much for that, Michael. A peeps one up, Michael. Can find Michael. Online. That's some consolation. Absolutely. That's uh, bad. Underscore. Movie. Underscore. Club. Yes. Mm. And find his mini also online at Whoback When in its full splendor. Yes, indeed. Michael, so big. Who's last? My last up is Vamshi. Hello, Vamshi. And Vamshi says at the end, all in all, I think this is on par with part one, but I may have rated that one too low last time. Eps one and two both get four out of five. Nice. Exactly what Michael said. Really good stuff. Fantastic stuff. So the lowest this got out of seven reviewers was 3.8. Yeah, that's... Chibbers must be doing something right. Finally. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, well done. Well done. Thank you very much, Vamshi. Thank you very much, everyone who sent something in for this. Very, very good stuff. Holy smokes. This is this is going super well. Yeah. Oh, uh, what a season. So far, What definitely. writing. What a doctor. We're a third of the way through and we've found, well, loads to criticise, but no low scores to give. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's really good stuff. Right. Well, that's enough of this, but this is not the end of <laughs> Doctor Who. No, certainly not. 
Although we are only seven episodes. Yeah, there's not much <laughs> left, actually. The, yeah, end. No, the, the end is near. Mm. Next up, we've got a classic who... Who I? Yes, indeed. Ooh and I. Next no, up... I thought it was Jim and you. <laughs> <laughs> Next up, we are reviewing Silver Nemesis. Ooh. Ooh, wow. Michael's teased that like little else. Oh, well, well, well. After that, we're back in new territory, I believe, with what? Once upon time. Ooh. Once, comma, upon time. I mean, night. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah well, done. <laughs> well done. I don't remember anything about that. Mm-hmm. Not a thing. Spacey Wacy. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. At some point, we're going to do an audio here as well, namely Doctor Who, colon, the punctuation, redacted. Mm-hmm. And bonus territory, well, keep your eyes peeled. Yeah, so is the nature of a bonus. Yep. But in the meantime, you can say hello to us as well. You can interact with us, uh, at least to some degree. Drew, you are no longer on Twitter, per se. No, no, but you can reach me at whomackwhen at gmail.com. I assume you're not forwarding me the emails, Leon, because I must be getting thousands a day, and yet they're not reaching me somehow. But yeah, that it, option is open to you, Podcast Land. Yeah, yeah. If you want to interact with us, whobackwhen at gmail.com or at whobackwhen on Twitter, that reaches us collectively. You can say hi to me online as well. I will say hi right back. It's Ponkin, P-O-N-K-E-N. What a proposition. Well, yes. How can one possibly decline it? You'd have to have genitals of stone to refuse. (laughs) I can see both pros and cons. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's it, I guess. So thank you so much for listening. You've been a lovely audience. Yes, indeed. Catch you on the Flippity Flux. Bye-bye. Rock on, be right next to each other. And yeah, you know what? Ciao-ciao. Kablamo! Did you enjoy the show? Then please do what the cosmos compels you to and spread the gospel of who back when. Tell your friends! But I've got no friends! No problemo, tell some strangers! Hey! Like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash who back when. All in one word. Are you into Twitter? Awesome! High five us online and we'll high five you right back. You guessed it, we're at who back when. All in one word. Check us out on Instagram for behind the scenes photos and other Whovian goodness. Watch our videos or even listen to our podcast on YouTube. That's whobackwhen.com slash YouTube. Vote us up on Reddit, listen to us on Stitcher and head on over to our website whobackwhen.com where you can submit a review of your own, browse the article archives and peruse our visual index of aliens, monsters and more which increases in Kablamos with every episode. And lastly, give us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps our show get noticed and earns you lots of karma points. That's it. Rock on and be rad and excellent to each other. Catch your earballs in our next Who review or bonus episode. Until then, ciao ciao. Who back when?